90% of all scientists that have ever been alive are alive today. That's a lot of information, but don't panic. It's not an exact science. Hey, Shannon, how are you? Uh, pretty good. Just recovering from my last, uh, my last meetings. But of course, you've been to another meeting since I have been. So, <laughs> yeah, I spent last weekend, so last Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, in New York City. Uh, New York City. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah, that's actually we were it. talking about that on the way up there. That old was it Pace? Yeah, Picante sauce, sauce or, something? or something. Yeah. Like that? yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's the guy that gets his salsa from New York City. <laughs> um, how was it? It was really great. So I've been to the city uh, once before, but got to go around and do some touristy stuff. But the main thing I was there for was the World Maker Fair. And so you've never been to this before. This is a big thing, though, because even I know about it. So <laughs> Yeah, it was really cool. I got there... Uh, it started at, I think it was 10 o'clock on Saturday morning. And so we got there about 9.30 or so, had to take several trains. We were staying in Manhattan, and it was way over in Queens. Oh, okay. So there were a couple of subway rides. I uh, got there early. There's a huge line of people waiting to get in. There was a countdown for when they started checking people in. <laughs> like, so much going on. And it was, it was really great. It was actually kind of funny. When we got off the train, I think it was the second day on Sunday, the entire seven train was like packed, standing room only. And when it got to the stop near the museum where Maker Faire was, it emptied. <laughs> they even had subway employees saying the science fair is this way. And <laughs> Nerds, turn right. <laughs> right, exactly. That is awesome. Um, I don't even know what... Maker Fair is. I mean, obviously, I sort of know what it is, but I mean, like, is it like a regular conference or is it this thing that's just open to the public? Like, how how do you get to go to this? Well, it's open to the public, but you do have to buy a ticket to get in. Okay. I think the early bird tickets were something like $40. Oh, that's not bad. Yeah. I mean, compared to AGU, it's nothing, right? Uh, uh, yeah. God. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> and it... Uh, it's just a gathering of people that like to make things, that like to bring things into existence. And it can be anything. There are people that do fabric. There are people that do wood. There are people that do metal. There's electronics. There's uh, people that drone race. There's everything Wow. There. And it was huge. I think that I read there were over 1,500 exhibitors. <laughs> what? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> wow. I mean, it had the entire lawn of this museum, all of the inside of the museum. It was hard to move at times. There were so many oh people. Oh, my gosh. Were there, like, talks and stuff, or was it just a big exhibit hall and sort of demos? Uh, so there were talks. They actually had uh, several stages going at once. They had one okay. that was called Maker to Market that DigiKey had sponsored. Uh, then they had Center Stage, which was where some of the really big names gave talks. And mm -hmm. so... Uh, let's see, I went to uh, Will from Tested.com, was with the people from Glowforge, which are the laser cutter that oh, I yeah. have one on pre-order. <laughs> I'm very excited about this. <laughs> yes, I, I will put a link in the show notes. If you're interested in buying a laser cutter, please use the link because then you get $100 off and so do I. Um, <laughs> yeah, but I got to see that and it was neat because it's the first time I've actually seen the machine that I've purchased. Mine won't be shipped until March. Oh, that that must be painful. 
Yeah. So I got to see it work and got to see Will. That was pretty cool. Uh, I went to a talk on using drones for photogrammetry with structure for motion and LIDAR. Ah, now that's cool. Yeah. So they were mapping uh, damage. They were mapping buildings. They were uh, mapping land for land use and landfills for how full they were. Oh, okay. Wow. Um, That's really neat. I, when I went down into that, um, when I went down into that pit, they used structure for motion to put together their sort of, um, big data sets of their photos to look at the paleo seismicity thing. And that's the first I'd really heard of it. And I looked into it after that. And that's really cool software. Yeah. It's actually one thing that I was a little disappointed with in that talk was there's a lot of cool examples of this is doing structure for motion and absolutely zero mention of how or what <laughs> software they were using to do it. <laughs> and somebody asked, and it was kind of a vague answer. I felt like there's a little bit of uh, protection of their business going ah, on. Ah, gotcha. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but gotcha. it was still interesting nonetheless. And then there were a couple of big name talks that I got to go to. One uh, was by Massimo Bonzi, one of the original Arduino people. Oh, my goodness. Did they have to, like, get... <laughs> get security to pull you off of him or no (laughs) yeah uh well it's interesting because people that have followed arduino know that there's been a split in the company now there were there were two arduinos for the last year or so okay and different hardware different software it was a mess uh because of some disagreements over some legal things with the company Ah. and the two original founders ended up getting on stage and saying, look, we've signed the paperwork. We're making one Arduino again. We're getting past this. Oh, wow. So that was big news. Uh, yeah, I bet that actually was met with um, quite a round of applause, right? Yes, it was. And that, that talk is online. That's cool. Okay. Neat. Uh, and then the one that I was really excited about, it was actually the first talk I went to. Uh, <laughs> I went to a talk by Grant Imahara from <laughs> Mythbusters. Uh, my husband saw your Twitter picture and was very jealous. <laughs> yeah, yeah. After that, I got to actually go meet him and talk to him for a little bit. It was really cool. Uh, uh, that's super awesome. So his talk was kind of about what it means to be a maker. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, that sounds like a pretty soft title, right? I mean, yeah, but hopefully he was very inspiring. He was. That's awesome. And he had a lot of great you know, kind of one and two liners in there. Uh, One was he was talking about how it used to work where you have all these data books and, you know, there are a few people that are kind of wizards at doing certain things with electronics. There was no internet that you can just go look things up on or ask a question. (laughs) Right. Um, He goes, and then open source happened. (laughs) And started talking about all the great open source tools that are out there, which was really great. He also told the story of when he was in college, one of his friends asked, uh, you know, do you think this internet thing's ever really going to take off? And his reply was, why would it take off? I have a wall of data books in my office. Why do I need the internet? <laughs> Oops. <laughs> yeah, he said, I'm very happy to say that I missed that one completely. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's hilarious. Uh, yeah, he might have had a wall of data books, but he didn't have a whole, you know, hard drive full of kitty pictures. <laughs> Right. (laughs) And, you know, it was really great when he was talking about there are some people that 
they look at what's available in the world, you know, things that they can buy, things they can get, things they can get on Amazon Prime in two days. And if it doesn't do exactly what they need, they say, well, that's too bad. And they're happy with whatever it does. Or Yeah. Mm-hmm. He goes, and then there are people who say, this needs to exist and bring it into existence, kicking and screaming. <laughs> uh, That's a great quote. <laughs> yeah. And, and I bet it feels you know, like that, actually making stuff too. Yeah, and he <laughs> offered some advice. He said, every time that you're working on something, you know, everything that he's worked on, uh, it never works right. And <laughs> you know, he was saying, generally, you start working on something and you're excited. And then towards the end, when you're trying to get it to work and it won't work, he goes, it's just stupid. <laughs> and <laughs> you know, he said that the solution is to literally walk away and take a walk, let your mind work on the problem subconsciously for a little bit. And uh, I think that really helps. <laughs> oh, man, that's great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I, I couldn't believe it when I saw that picture. That's really cool. Um. I'm assuming oh, and he's he, a super nice person. That's what I was just going to say. He, it looks, it seems like from the show, he's a really nice guy. So hopefully that came across as well. Yeah. And he's got his own shop now. He was really excited about it. I think he said it's some 700 and something square feet. He said, but it's all mine. Oh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. That's really yeah. cool. That's no, it, it was, it was great. And he was there. I think Mouser Electronics it was the company that was sponsoring him being out there. Oh, okay. Yeah. A- uh, I don't so know those were those any... were the talks I went to. They were great. That's cool. Um, how I mean, how big was the area that all of this was going on? Uh, his talk was in a relatively small room. It probably sat three hundred people. Oh, okay. Uh, but the actual fair itself was huge. I mean, acres. That's crazy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it took us all of the first day and a good chunk of the second day to see everything. Just to and walk did... around it once. Yeah, and we didn't stop in detail at a lot of things uh, wow yeah <laughs> so there was that also got to uh some of the various sites i got to have lunch with two people that were ghostbusters like for real ghostbusters like they their hobby is making very accurate movie prop replicas oh okay apparently that many states have an organization that does this and they do charity events a lot of the time. Uh, like they'll go do stuff with kids dressed up as the ghostbusters and uh, okay, it was really cool. And so I've got a couple pictures of these guys that have very, very awesome proton packs <laughs> on their back walking around maker fair. Oh my gosh. <laughs> my kid would have been super excited about that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> That's awesome. So the other thing that really impressed me going around was there were so many crazy smart kids that something great has to come out of this whole maker movement with kids. Uh I'm really excited just reading your notes to hear about this uh, grilled cheese robot. (laughs) Yeah. So these kids, you know, I, I came back and I told my class that some of them would be lucky to have projects for their class project in a graduate course that were as good as what some of these kids had done. Uh, <laughs> That's no way to motivate your students. <laughs> no, so oh my gosh. these were relatively young kids. I'm a horrible judge at age, but I'm going to, I'm going to shoot in the dark and say fifth grade. Okay. Gotcha. That had built this robot that automatically makes grilled cheeses that had pneumatics <laughs> that 
like pressed ah. the grilled cheese down into the grill and then ejected it out of the the grill when it was done and they oh, called man. it Mr. Goodwitch. Of course they did. That's awesome. <laughs> and they have a website, mrgoodwitch.com, but oh, right wow. now it just says you're early and you can sign up for an email list, but there's nothing there yet. But check back <laughs> later. That's super awesome. <laughs> yeah, so that was really cool and then uh Another one that really stuck with me was there was another kid probably about the same age that was really excited to tell anybody that was going by about what his project was. <laughs> and so, so we stopped and he had these giant coils set up and he was wirelessly transmitting power to some light bulbs and to some Arduinos. And so when we went up, I said, oh, well, tell us, tell us how this works. And he goes, well, there's an electromagnetic field that's made up of an electric and a magnetic component <laughs> and started explaining how these coils were aligned and how the energy was being transferred between them. And I oh. dare you to find somebody that has passed freshman physics that could explain it as good as this kid did. Oh, it was man. amazing. That is awesome. That is awesome. I'm lucky if my seniors remember the right hand rule. Yeah, I, so. I, I, I definitely felt uh, marginally inadequate after... <laughs> After talking, it's like, wow, these kids are going to really do some great stuff. Well, and there were so many people like that there. That is promising. Yeah, it, it definitely <laughs> restores your faith in people still being able to do things with their hands, which is something we talk about a lot. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. Man, that's so cool. How fun. Oh, that yeah. That is fun. So you said, like, what I'm trying to think of, you know, I go to, I don't even want to say this. Um, I, so I go to like craft fairs and stuff, right? And there's a lot mm -hmm. of like paper making. Was there anything like that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, so cool. There was some, Seriously. There was some paper craft. Yeah. Uh, they had a whole area that was devoted to child makers. No kidding. Yeah. That is super cool. And there's all kinds of stuff. There's paper. There's there's uh, one girl that had made a little theremin. Oh, <laughs> And That's fun. So, so and we, we, were, we were trying to play the original Star Trek theme on it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and she said, yeah, next generation. And you said, no. <laughs> yeah, no, I think she original. probably thought the movie. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but She's like, there That's was, not how uh, that music goes at all. <laughs> so burns a matic that makes the little torches mm -hmm. that you might use for sweating copper pipe or something like that. Mm -hmm. They actually had a booth there where they would give you a wooden picture frame and you could use the torch to like distress it. Oh, that's awesome. And then they had brands that were their logo or the Maker Fair logo or that kind of thing. And you could heat the brand up and then like burn the brand into your frame. Oh, that's cool. And you got to take it with you. That was fun. Uh, <gasps> there, were, there were beginning soldering classes. You could stand in line and they would give you a little kit that would flash an LED on a, a thing that you could pin on your shirt. Oh, and neat. they would teach you how to solder. Wow. Uh, there was a lock picking class. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. Uh. Hmm. <laughs> so soldering and then lock picking and then. Huh, yeah. Interesting. <laughs> oh, there was, there were a lot of educational things going on, which was really neat to see. Um, and one thing that struck me was there were so many happy and skilled people that's and awesome the, the skilled is not i mean it's every level of skill right there are people that had just started doing something with say an arduino and they were really excited about learning it 
and they wanted to learn it. And there were people there that have been designing six-layer circuit boards for 20 years, and they were still super excited <laughs> oh, to talk to people about it. That's awesome. That is so awesome. Like, how how refreshing. Yes. You know. Yes, it really was. Uh, ah. Let's see. Oh, uh, there was an industrial garbage band called Glank. You can go to their website, <laughs> glankglankglank.com. Uh, okay. <laughs> where they get industrial trash, so pressure vessels, saw blades, you name it. And they make musical instruments out of it. Okay. And so they were walking around with a drum kit made out of saw blades, somebody playing on a set of tuned uh, propane tanks. <laughs> and I don't remember what the other person had. Uh, How do you tune a propane tank? <laughs> I don't know. They had it tuned kind of, you know, those steel drums mm-hmm. were hitting different places or different notes. It was kind of like that. Oh, okay. Gotcha. But they gotcha. had done some cuts in it with maybe a plasma torch or something. Uh, you can go to their website and they've got videos of them playing it. They were really good. <laughs> that is uh, super interesting. There were people that would walk around, you know, groups of maybe 10 or 15 people with marching band instruments, playing songs and getting people to follow them and sing. And uh, <laughs> Oh, my Lord. <laughs> yeah. Um, so let's see. What else? Oh, I saw, a set, uh, I saw a self-playing guitar that had solenoids to press the strings down in different spots and then a motor and a belt drive on linear bearings that held the pick to strum the guitar. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, a set of self-playing drums. It was pretty cool. Uh, I can already tell uh, that this Glank website is going to keep me busy for quite some time. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, it says industrial percussive alchemy. Yeah. Which is fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, let's see. I got to I got to see some folks from Beaglebone and Oshpark. So Drew was out there, who I've talked to on Twitter. Uh, okay. And there's a new BeagleBone, which has Wi-Fi and Bluetooth integrated on it. So that was fun. I don't know what a BeagleBone is. It's a small Linux computer, kind of oh. like a Raspberry Pi. Oh, I see. It's super tiny. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so that was neat. And you should definitely check that out. I'll put a link in the notes. And Oshpark, uh, they do all the circuit board manufacturing for a lot of makers and also professionals at Prototype. Gotcha. Uh, so, yeah, they actually are really involved with the Open Hardware Summit that's happening pretty much as this show comes out. Unfortunately, it's in Portland this year, and I'm not going to be able to go. Oh, yeah. That's a yeah. bummer. <laughs> uh, let's see. Um, well, 3D printers were a big thing, as always. Um, that It doesn't surprise me, but, like, so how have they changed? I know you're an early 3D printer adopter, but, I mean, is there stuff that's getting super shocking about 3d printers now uh the resolution and the cost is getting pretty amazing there was a company there and i they had some things that they had printed with their printer but they didn't have it printing there and it's not in the hands of consumers yet so i don't know how it's going to work but the ono uh, so ono 3d it's a smartphone resin printer for a hundred bucks. Whoa. Okay. Yeah. So it uses resin like some of the other 
printers on the market, like Form Labs, where mm-hmm. you use light to actually cure this sort of epoxy and build okay. the thing layer by layer instead of squirting out hot plastic. Okay. Uh, and so what they do is they turn your smartphone into the projector and eliminate a lot of the expensive bits that way. Ah. So you slide your smartphone into this thing, and the light from your phone, they control what shows, and that cures the resin in a certain pattern. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And it, lo- it looks pretty tiny. It is. It, it was not quite the size of a toaster. That's impressive. So I'm really curious to see how it works when it gets in the hands of consumers, since they didn't have it running there. Mm-hmm. Uh, they did have some things that were printed by it, but they were all covered. You couldn't play with them. Aww. <laughs> uh, so I didn't get a chance to see how resilient they were, which is probably why they were covered. Yeah, probably. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but still. Yeah. And I got to talk to Lulzbot, or the ALF objects, the people that make the Lulzbot TAS printers, which is mm-hmm. what I have. Okay. And, you know, I was, just walked up to their booth and said, hey, I have one of your printers. It's a couple years old. It's a couple models back now. But I'm having these weird things go on with it. And they spent 20 minutes with me saying, wow. oh, well, look, actually, we know that that, that, and that were all problems. And if you go to our website, you can download these files for some new parts and print them on your existing printer <laughs> and upgrade your printer <laughs> and fix a lot of these things. And anyway, they told me how to make my printer almost equivalent to the newest model. That's like some creepy cannibal stuff happening, though. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Like, there's a problem with something called heat creep, where mm -hmm. I I get too much heat going up the filament that eventually causes jams. Man, is there something you haven't Uh, burned out? I mean, really? Yeah. And (laughs) they, uh, they said, oh, well, you know, that's an issue. There's this dual fan duct that has your fan blow air on a couple different places on the printer than we originally had designed and it eliminates that problem so just go print that off and screw it on and you'll be fine oh my gosh that's awesome and it it was great it was a wonderful experience uh (laughs) that's hysterical then we saw a printer that at the time i thought wow this is huge uh it was printing what i'm gonna call is a big vase i don't know if that's actually what it was but a big artsy type thing. <laughs> and by big, I mean it was a couple feet tall. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the printer was just a little bit taller than I am. Wow. And it used plastic pellets. It had this big hopper. Mm-hmm. And so I was very impressed by that. And I tweeted a picture and I said, now that's a big 3D printer. And a bunch of people were like, oh, cool. Well, then a couple hours later, I went inside the museum where the CME CNC booth was, mm-hmm. and they had a Delta printer that was two stories tall. Oh. <gasps> <laughs> <laughs> so, you know those, uh, you'll be going down the sidewalk in some cities, and you see clocks in these pedestals that stick up off the sidewalk, and the clock is probably seven feet in the air? Uh-huh, right. They were printing those pedestals. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> on this printer. Oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> that's awesome. It had a trash can, like a big industrial trash can full of plastic pellets that were getting sucked into the hopper. Oh, that's so cool. Um, it was really cool. It was huge. <laughs> oh man. So like, what do, I mean, what do they use that for? Uh, just large 
prints, large format prints. Oh my gosh. Um, Actually, in the photo I took, it was funny. I took a photo of it from the upper level of the museum and posted it on Twitter. And instantly there were people identifying other people in the photo, like down on the bottom. One of the Adafruit employees was there and his family <laughs> that does their 3D printing stuff. And, uh, oh, that's funny. But that, that was really cool. There were people that are trying experimental materials, like somebody made a clay 3D printer so they could print pottery with a 3D printer. Oh, how's that working? <laughs> it had a, just like a big syringe of clay. And then they would pressurize wow. it to squirt it out. That is awesome. Yeah, it was it was really cool. Uh, yeah, man. Hmm. Uh, let's see. I don't want to go on too long here, but uh, <laughs> there was <laughs> there was also a product area and a Kickstarter area, so places where either full on relatively new products or products that were just now on Kickstarter could show off and try to get backing. Mm-hmm. That's and nice. I spent quite a bit of time over there. Were they, could you tell, was that successful? Uh, I think so, probably. Some of the ones that were higher price point, you know, there were some devices that were 5,000 plus per, mm-hmm. probably didn't have quite as many takers as they'd wished. Right. But that's an expensive product. Right. Um, hmm. Let's see, there were a few things. There's one called the Chip Setter, okay. which is a small-scale prototype pick-and-place machine, which probably doesn't mean anything to you. Nope. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, When you're making circuit boards that have a bunch of small parts on them, you generally use a robot to place all the parts on the board. Right. And so this robot takes a bunch of reels of your parts and your files from your CAD software and uses a little vacuum nozzle and picks up these teeny tiny parts, inspects Ooh. them with a camera to make sure that they're oriented on the nozzle correctly and correct any rotation changes, and then it places them on the board. That is impressive. Yeah. And it was around $5,000, I think. Which for that, you know, even a small, not very fast commercial pick-and-place machine is $100,000. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I assumed that was a lot, so that's kind of a big deal. Yeah, and the there have been several people that have come out with cheap home pick-and-place tools. Mm-hmm. This one is polished, and it really had kind of the full software stack with it, so that was really impressive. That's neat. Uh, there's one that I think you might be excited about. It's called the Shaper Origin. Okay. This is a handheld CNC router. Um, handheld? Yeah. So this is a regular, like, handheld wood router. Okay. But it's mounted on this base that has a screen and some positioning controls. So you can feed a file, even from Illustrator or something, into it. Like <laughs> a, shape, a shape that you want to cut in the wood. And you stick this tape down that has these markers so that it can figure out where it is on your piece of plywood or whatever you're cutting. And then you start following a line on the screen, like tracing your design, which you might think, well, I could do that anyway. But it has eh, probably a half an inch or so of room where the computer can move the router head back and forth. Uh Uh-huh. So as long as you stay within that half an inch margin roughly, of where you're supposed to be, it will correct for you so you get a perfect cut. Oh, 
This is amazing. I mean, they were letting people use like you could cut a gear <gasps> with teeth and it would come out flawless. Dude, their website is amazing. <laughs> this yeah, so is... Ben, ben Krasnow over on Applied Science has an early one and you can watch his video of him making some really cool stuff with it. Uh, this is super cool. Oh my goodness. And I I want to say it was $1,500, something like That's that. That's it? Yeah. There's a ukulele on here. <laughs> yeah. So it's something that I'm really looking forward to at some point getting to add to my toolbox. Uh, yeah. Now this one, yeah, this one, I'm definitely saving this website. This looks super awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I do love to use routers, so this, <laughs> this looks even better. <laughs> Man. Uh, let's see. I never I, thought that, like, there would be, well, no, I mean, for you, I would imagine there'd be this many cool things, but. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so let's see, Tormach was there, which they make a lot of personal CNC computer-controlled mills and uh, lathes. Mm-hmm. So they were cutting little aluminum cases for the Raspberry Pi with their P440 oh. mill. <laughs> That's cute. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, for a full... I think the bare bones CNC mill price is five thousand dollars, and the deluxe one is roughly ten. Wow, uh, not bad. Like you can do serious machine shop work with these. Yeah, because I mean, that's hard to find. I mean, a machine shop to do your stuff. We've talked about this online and offline before too, because my husband, you know, builds cars, so he uses machine shops a lot. Um, I think he will be excited to see this. Yeah. So that was neat. Um, Let's see. Oh, and the other one that I'm really excited about is Wazer. Okay. Which Wazer, it took me way too long to figure out that that's water laser. (laughs) Yeah, obviously. Uh, Obviously. (laughs) It's it's a water jet cutter. Uh Uh Uh-huh. That is the size of... Uh, I'm going to say it's the size of one of those dorm room fridges Okay. on its side. And you hook it to your tap. You load it up with garnet abrasive. You put up to a quarter inch thick piece of metal in, upload your design, and it uses water to cut through the metal. Uh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> so these, again, are commercial tools. We have one at Penn State that has been used to cut through a nine inch thick block of steel before no kidding yeah and they've been commercially available for quite a long time but again they're hundreds of thousands of dollars yeah this thing looks pretty tiny yeah this is a mm, not quite desktop i'm gonna say desk unit (laughs) Uh, (laughs) like it gets its own desk in your shop uh but yeah it'll cut up to a quarter inch plate it's not incredibly fast but remember, it's generating all of that really high pressure inside. All it has is tap water to work yeah, with. Yeah, from your tap? That's unbelievable. Yeah, and it has another hose that you stick into your drain where it dumps out the used water and garnet. Uh, there... uh, <laughs> used water and garnet. That's awesome. Um, <laughs> it looks like their Kickstarter was extremely um, productive. Yeah. So I'm pretty excited. This one, a lot of the commercial water jets, you can also engrave. Oh, And they Mm -hmm. said that they're not doing engraving in the first version. They've played with it and haven't got consistent results. Oh, all right. So 
maybe in version two. Uh, it's pretty impressive, though. They do have a necklace made out of pennies where they've cut out everything around Abraham Lincoln's head. We actually got to hold that exact necklace there. Ah. <laughs> it was really cool. That's uh, impressive. Yeah, and like they made gears for a bike and all kinds of stuff with it. That is awesome. Again, it's around the $5,000 mark, so I, I've already spent my tool budget for the year. <laughs> <laughs> but this is something to keep an eye on. Uh, yeah, that's that's actually super exciting. Um, they've got a pretty cool video on their website too. So I mean, but that stuff's that's making things really, um, I don't know, really available for like small businesses. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, manufacturing's getting smaller. We're not making tons and tons of one thing. We're making more and more custom stuff. Oh, except for that two-story 3D printer. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> But there was one thing that I didn't see much of, and it made me sad. Uh-oh. I saw very little citizen science. Huh. Really? Yeah. Now, I'm not saying it wasn't present. It was definitely there. Mm-hmm. But I, w I really thought there would be some more people that were, like, citizens pursuing research. Right. I'm still super excited that it was people building and learning these technical skills. Right. But I was a little surprised because to me, the obvious application of learning these technical skills is solving or measuring some kind of cool, natural thing. Uh, well, but some, I think that's because people, we're biased. Right. Exactly. Some people might just make to make. Right. So, I mean, but, at least, at least it's happening. <laughs> oh yeah, no, it definitely is. And I think that maybe there just wasn't a lot there because I know there's a lot of citizen science going on. Right. Uh, or maybe I missed it in my excitement about the big 3D printers. <laughs> that is true. That's very yeah. true. <laughs> <laughs> or your poor printer printing off its own body parts. <laughs> yep. Printing out its own replacement. God, that's so crazy. <laughs> <laughs> there's definitely a dystopian uh, short story in there somewhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Man, that sounds awesome. I never would have thought about going to that, but um, it sounds like you had a really great time. Oh, I did. I'm looking forward to getting to go again at some point. Yeah, excellent. Is it always in New York City or? Uh, so they always have a New York one, and then they have a San Francisco Bay Area one. There are a lot of other smaller local ones around, oh, okay, but those gotcha. are the main ones. And then the World Maker Fair kind of goes, I think last year was in Rome, and then this year it was the New York one, but it kind of jumps around. Awesome. That is awesome. Yeah, so it was it was super exciting, if you can't tell. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised you were able to condense it down into this half hour. <laughs> yeah, I, sure. I did my best and yeah, I'm, I'm didn't sure even get to go, go into any of the other awesome stuff that we saw in New York. But <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> Next time. Next time. <laughs> well, so... I guess that means we should probably move on so this doesn't get too ridiculously long uh -huh, uh -huh. to everybody's <laughs> favorite segment of the show, Fun Paper Friday. Yay! <laughs> uh, I found the original cowbell. <laughs> oh. Yeah. So, yes, Shannon now has multiple cowbells. I do. Because she records uh, at multiple locations. So the cowbell that Tim made us is at her office. Uh-huh. No, and I've now this cowbell's at home. <laughs> Uh, that cowbell that Tim made has started so many conversations, which always starts with, why is there a cowbell on your desk? <laughs> <laughs> 
So it's it's wonderful. I love it. You should just say, why isn't there one on yours? That's exactly what I'm going to say next time. Yep. Uh. <laughs> um, so this fun paper, while it wasn't super fun, <laughs> um, I did I did look it up in terms of following up on last week's fun paper. And I thought, because of some of the things that I sort of said about it and thought about it all week, that we needed to further delve into it. So I picked this uh, article, Video Games Do Affect Social Outcomes, a Meta-Analytical Review of the Effects of Violent and Pro-Social Video Game Play by uh, Greta Meyer and Mudge? Moogie, something like that. It's... it's the uh, the you with the dots. Yeah, umlauts, and, umlauts. <laughs> and and I am, as you can tell, not a yeah. pronunciation or yeah. mm-hmm. uh, IPA expert. So, yep. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, this this is a really long article, and but it had some interesting themes in it, and it's just what it says. It's looking at they took a huge data set, and they're looking at whether violent video games produce violent tendencies and pro-social or helping video games produce helping tendencies last week you know we said that there's some evidence that playing violent video games makes you more violent and some people say well actually it makes you less violent because you get your aggression out and some people say it makes no difference and that's exactly what this study tried to tackle by comparing a bunch of studies (laughs) right exactly (laughs) so it was Um, a study of studies hence meta the meta oh so painful but i mean these papers are really useful um and maybe you don't see that usefulness unless you're working in this field and you're like gosh i wish somebody would just take all the research and put it together and that's exactly what this did because it took 98 independent studies with nearly thirty-seven thousand participants yeah it was really impressive yeah like that's that's a huge amount and Basically, these studies were, obviously, some of them said, yes, violent video games produces violence, and then some studies said, well, kind of it does, and so there's a lot of infighting I gathered in the psychological uh, research world about this, and hence this study. Right, and it actually turns out that there is some bias based on whether the researchers themselves play violent video games. <laughs> yeah, uh, I thought that was pretty funny, too. <laughs> because if you play them, you are biasing your results towards them not being more inclined to make you violent. Because uh, right. that's what you want. Right, exactly. <laughs> Which is, um, I mean, that's pretty funny and true. Um so they took all this. I thought it was really interesting them talking about these pro-social games, too. So a game where, you know, you're helping someone and the outcome is helping someone. And even games that, where you killed people with the auspice of helping someone. So, I mean, in my mind, like Super Mario Brothers or something like that, right? You kill a lot of little bad guys. Right. But ultimately to help the princess. And it said that even stuff like that actually increased pro-social behavior, I thought that was interesting. Yeah. And the other thing that they mentioned that I thought was fascinating was if you're violent together with other people, (laughs) if Mm -hmm. you are contributing to a team effort, Mm -hmm. the positivity of contributing to a team and interacting with other humans almost exactly cancels the effect of the violence. That seemed like a researcher bias statement, I think, but yes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's what I thought when I read that part. 
But they, they do some statistical analysis. Of course, we're not going to go into that since it makes for fantastic radio. It does uh, <laughs> But they do talk about publication bias, and then they have this really nice summary. So you said it's a long article. It is 13 pages, but a lot of that is citations from all of these studies. Yes. Uh, the main yeah, bulk is, is about eight pages. That is true. Um, I thought that was... I just thought it was really interesting how they said if, in addition to violent video games causing violent behavior, it also decreases your positive social behavior and vice versa. I thought that was interesting, too. It kind of added a different thing. Yeah. Well, and so I actually just found again in here, one of the things that it is a little bit statistical, but I thought it was interesting, was you know generally when we say well, this causes this, you think that it's pretty definite. Right. So the R for this correlation was 0. 0.19, mm-hmm. which isn't great. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but they say that that is a weak to medium or small to medium effect. Uh, and there are many other factors, of course, that influence how violent you're going to be, but that this one could be non-negligible right right uh yeah and it was fascinating that once they tried to do their best to weed out some of the studies results that were either clearly biased or didn't fit a strict criterion that they had set Mm -hmm. uh, they actually found remarkable agreement between the studies even the studies that said no it doesn't make you more likely to be violent once they actually reanalyzed the data it did it did. Yep. I thought that was I thought that was pretty interesting too. So I'm actually really curious. This is a twenty fourteen paper. I'm curious if this is considered settled or not. Right. I, I wondered that too. I didn't keep looking. Once I found this, I didn't keep looking, but I wonder if there's any more recent things that cite this. Um I thought it was interesting too that they said the overall effect sizes of violent video game exposure and pro social video game exposure were similar in terms of magnitude. Yeah. Because you always say, you know, playing those violent video games is going to make you violent, but you never say, playing that pro-social video game like Farmville, that's going to help you out. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think, you know, we should we should all play more happy games. <laughs> yeah, apparently. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I play like Super Mario Brothers and Kirby, which, you know, I mean, Kirby's this cute little thing, but he eats people. So I don't know. So what about Angry Birds? Hmm, that's true. I don't know. That is an interesting point. I'm going to go with violent, seeing as how my kid stacks up the pillows in the living room and runs through them, screaming angry birds. <laughs> so. <laughs> so I actually looked up. There are 131 papers that currently cite this paper. Oh, wow. Which is impressive for a paper that's only two years old. Yeah, that's a ton. Uh, <laughs> yeah. See? Exactly. And you need these papers that bring together a lot of research. Well, 50 of those papers have come out this year. Oh. <laughs> okay. And the first one that comes up when I do the search is Violent Media and Hostile Appraisals, a meta-analytic review. So we have yet another meta review (laughs) (laughs) in the Journal of Aggressive Behavior. Oh, my goodness. Um, Interesting. Yeah. So modeling outcomes of violent video game play, statistical models, video games as virtual teachers, pro-social video game use by children and adolescents. Uh, 
but there's also a paper that maybe speaks to this. This is a 2015 paper by Bushman uh, and all. It says, there is broad consensus. Media researchers agree that violent media increase aggression in children and pediatricians and parents concur. Hmm. Okay. That is in Psychology of Popular Media. Oh, there you go. So maybe it's slightly more settled. Nothing's ever settled in literature. No, no, that's for sure. But it does away with the whole idea of, you know, kill chickens in video games and then you won't do it in real life. <laughs> right. That was That's bunk. It's been debunked now. <laughs> that's pretty much what it sounds like. Yeah. And wow, there's, there is a rich field of research in this area. Let me tell you, going through some of these paper titles... <laughs> I think people get really jazzed up about this. And it's funny, them talking about that publication bias, because I think that's why. Because people like to play them, and so they want to defend them, you know? I'd be curious so. to see what about, like, neutral video games. Like, what about playing Flight Simulator? Can you use that mm -hmm. as a control? Because it's neither violent nor pro-social. Uh, they, ta they talked about this in this, uh, in this paper. That some of the some of the studies did that they used neutral video games, but those weren't the ones that they considered, were they? No, 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 no. I okay, think they yeah. were just discussing methodologies of some of the previous studies. Okay, yeah, yeah. So, hmm, something I mean, to look up and think yeah. about some more. Mm -hmm. But uh, I might have to go play some Mario Kart, yep. which is <laughs> completely violent. <laughs> yeah, I've probably violent. <laughs> And you're out to win by yourself, so no pro-social at all, but that's okay. <laughs> that's okay. I'll use the, oh, no, they don't have the connect anymore. You can't play on a team with other people. I, I nope. guess I guess it will be violent video games then. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think this was a pretty great meta fun paper. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And gotta, gotta love that. <laughs> uh, I've got a couple of good ones queued up for the next couple weeks. I'm pretty Excellent. excited about that. <laughs> excellent <laughs> but if you have an idea for a fun paper something you'd like to hear us talk about uh, or somebody you'd like to hear us talk to go ahead and send that in to us shannon how can they get a hold of us uh you can email us show at don'tpanicgeocast.com um we will get to your emails as you can tell we are both very busy people but we love hearing from you you can always hang out with us in our slack chat room swung.rocks on the don't panic channel John is at Geo underscore Lehman. I am at Shannon Doolin. And together we are at Don't Panic Geo on Twitter. And until next week, remember, don't panic. It's not an exact science. Any opinions, findings, conclusions, or recommendations expressed are solely ours and do not necessarily reflect the views of our employers or funding agencies. 